Welcome back to You're Always Fine, a space to show up for yourself and embrace the mess that lives underneath because let's be real, it's exhausting always being fine. So grab your headphones and allow yourself to listen, laugh, and even cry because you are not alone and we aren't always fine. And that's okay. We are back with another episode of You're Always Fine. I'm your host, Christine. And this week, I'm excited to welcome our first guest host to the show, Dr. Moria Cockrell. Moria is a highly experienced professional and distinguished international author, speaker, and practitioner. With over 10 years of experience, she has become a leading authority in addressing social determinants of health and disrupting ageism through intergenerational and intragenerational mobility. Dr. Cockrell's dedication to enhancing people's lives in various aspects is well-recognized through her specialized focus in intergenerational healthcare, communication improvements, and end-of-life acceptance. With her expertise, we are getting vulnerable this week and talking about invisible pain. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I know I gave a brief kind of formal background, but can you introduce yourself and tell us kind of what led you down the road of becoming a death doula? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Again, I'm Dr. Mari Cockrell. And just a little bit about my background. Growing up, I was blessed to be surrounded by so many aunts and uncles and grandparents, but I definitely experienced a lot of grief loss along the way. And so in my personal life, I had two major losses, uh, both of my grandmothers, um, one on my mother's side, lost to breast cancer, and then on my father's side, lost to um, just an armed robbery. And so dealing with grief and loss early on really made me want to focus on how to help people. Back then, I was so young, I didn't know in what way I would do that, definitely following along the path of healthcare. But that always kind of stayed with me, that personal experience. So in college, I uh, studied health management with a minor in theology. And just really focus on spirituality and the role that can play in healing and finding purpose and belongingness from pain. So that really did uh, stay with me. And that led me to work in spiritual care at a hospital here in St. Louis. And there I was involved with some pretty interesting projects around grief and loss, looking at the care chaplains were providing not only to patients, but staff, compassion, fatigue. I did some projects looking at metrics of how long healthcare professionals were staying with patients based on the type of loss or trauma they were going through. So I experienced a lot of just learning of how to deal with grief, death, medical ethics around making those decisions. And then um, I had some volunteer experience as an ombudsman. And so as an ombudsman, you're going into nursing facilities, making sure residents know their rights, they're respected, they're heard, they're valued. But a lot of people were at the later stages of life. And there I had a lot of uh, end-of-life discussions with them, seeing people kind of struggle with regret and fear of what's to come and what's next. And so that just really made me want to be more proactive, help people look at legacy and how to be remembered. And at that same time, I was doing some teaching for an online college, and they introduced a program called Deck Doula. So I'm reading over the curriculum, and they're seeking faculty members. And I said, this is work I've actually been doing for years. I didn't know that there was a formal name for it. So then I became the faculty member for the Deaf Doula program. And that's when I officially started using that title. Wow. I'm I'm not really sure that I know what like that official title um, 
<laughs> is can you describe like the role of a death doula in supporting individuals and families? And maybe just a little bit more on that. So a death doula is a trained professional that offers non-medical support. So focus on emotional and informational, educational support, really being that person that can sit there with you through that grief or planning. And so there's the term death doula. You might also hear end of life doula, a Thana doula, provider, grief walker, death coach, death buddy. So there are a lot of different names for it, but it's someone that's really there that can kind of fill in the gaps in care. Again, not recommending medicine or providing medicine, but really being that companion, that emotional, that spiritual and educational guide. So in your kind of like walk of practice, is there like a case or so like a pivotal moment in your career, like doing this that you're like, wow, this is this is my calling. This is what I was supposed to do. Is anything of that nature? Honestly, I feel like it was all the moments that kind of led up to me being a formal death doula. I looked back after seeing the curriculum and I felt like this is why I experienced those moments. Like I said, very traumatic losses in my life. I really couldn't make sense of like why would someone, you know, so young, I was blessed to have, you know, really five grandparents in my life and I lost all of them. So for me, it really made sense of finding purpose in the pain that I went through that led me to that point. So I feel like everything since then has just been little winks of confirmation. You know, as I work with people on their life reviews or planning their advanced directives and wills, it's signals of, you know, I went through this previously with family and friends and that's what helped, you know, me be equipped and skilled to help. So I feel like it's just really the personal moments that really solidify why I need to do this work. I love what you said right there. I too am someone who like has dealt with a lot of death very early on in my life. Um, and I, I do think like, you know, it has shaped me in terms of like, you know, very much so like not really being afraid of it um, or talking about it. You know, we used to go um, like after, you know, when my when I was six, my my dad passed away and we used to go to like the cemetery on his birthday and on holidays. Like my mom very much so made it a very um, like normalized thing. And it wasn't really until my wife did I realize that it, that that's not the way everybody functions, if that makes sense. And so I, I kind of love that when you said about how essentially your your story is somebody else's like survival guide and like every this all like winks of confirmation. I, I like that was very, very well put. Um, do you um, what do you think is like the most common, like maybe misconception around death or you know, around end of life, you know, care, may, whether it be family or patient or, or in between? <laughs> huh. Well, what I hear often is if I talk about it, then it's going to make it happen sooner. Or it's just, you know, this whole negative perception that it's kind of not safe to discuss. And that's really one of the biggest struggles just for this profession is to have people so comfortable and open having those conversations to give them the mindset, you know, let's talk about it now. Let's create a plan. Then you can put it away. You don't have to think about it. But, you know, that it's not just this whole negative kind of, and I know it can be kind of a depressing and sad topic, but for me, it's just looking at life. Um, I call them frequencies, our beginnings, our endings, and just appreciation for being here and having these moments. So really trying to get more of a positive outlook and mindset for it. 
but really just the connotation of talking about it will make bad things happen or just that fear. You know, it's so funny. I I haven't heard, like, I'm a therapist. I haven't really heard like that, but it makes so much sense because I think, you know, we talk a lot about, about like manifesting and what we say matters and everything. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of an easy like jump if you think about it to be like, you know, yeah. like, well, if I talk about that, that's going to happen, you know, like, so it's, it's, I hadn't thought about it through that lens, but which is why we have you here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what people say, especially with manifesting and affirmations and the power of words. So it is kind of a tricky line to navigate because that's really what you hear about all the time, but making people feel safe to talk about it. And it's the fact that you're not dwelling on it is just having an open conversation to plan and help you move forward. Yeah, to your point, you know, it's it, like like you said, it is a really tricky line, uh, you know, it's like the I before E except after C rule, you know, like that one always yeah. got me in school. Like, like, come on, this is too much. And it kind of feels a little bit like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. because you know, I think to your point about like when you suppress something like that and you allow that fear of not like saying it out loud or processing it out loud or like putting it in a place in a healthy way, you just kind of repress. And like, that's when I think we can get like fear of dying or like, you know, built up regret and, and all those different emotions that come with end of life care. So yeah. And it's really about how you frame it, you know, like I said, not dwelling on it, but if you're thinking of manifestation and affirmation saying, you know, I want to have a peaceful death. I want to have a life well I lived. This. I want to plan my um, end of life wishes so that my family won't worry. My family won't be stressed. And that's really what I help clients do is look at it from that perspective. And I think that can help. Yeah, I love that because I will say, you know, um, Death is something I feel like I personally have been prepared for like my entire life being at such a young age, much like you. I I had none of my, you know, for someone who had a lot of grandparents, I had none of my grandparents in my life. Oh. Um, and so I think just uh, my one grandfather, I had, like I said, it was just a different death thing. But I, with my wife, you know, recently her uncle passed away and there was a lot of stress in the family because like no one really knew the wishes and stuff. Um, and you know, that his his death, I think, could have been prevented. There was enough time for that, if that makes sense. But um, mm-hmm. I also could imagine that when there isn't, it's almost like ne- never too early to start planning for it because you never know what life's going to bring. And, you know, September mm-hmm. is Suicide Awareness Month. And so I, you know, wanted to bring up like that type of emotional pain and sudden death that comes with, you know, suicide or any sudden death car accident. So how has that worked in your like work of being a death doula? Like, have you encountered those, you know, more sudden deaths or suicide in your career? Or um, how do you prepare for that on on every side? Yeah. And, you know, the sudden and traumatic loss is definitely difficult. And like I said, finding purpose and pain, I think going through those two different losses with my grandmother really prepared me. Like I said, one was kind of clear with breast cancer, you see it coming. And then for my other grandmother to be murdered, it was very traumatic and sudden. And I think just having that personal experience helps me just be with people in that moment because you're immediately going through shock. You know, did this happen? I can't believe this happened to me and really processing. So instead of it being more of, helping an individual plan for their own end of life is really supporting the family, you know, helping with legacy and remembrance, even helping with like funeral preparations, um, helping design obituaries and 
logistics and things like that. But just like we have some cabana sessions, getting comfortable with the unknown and just knowing that we don't have control over everything and that's okay. And to know that you survived all your worst days and that focusing on creating that circle of support is key. And whether that's with friends or family or finding a creative outlet, it's important to kind of channel that grief into something. And I think that's extremely important because when you have such a shock and traumatic loss, you need the time to process, to feel those emotions, to express that anger, the sadness, but making sure that that person is not alone. And then too, when working with the families and loved ones of that person who has transitioned, giving them support and resources. I worked with an individual who lost their son to suicide and, you know, that loss was extremely difficult to process. And so she too had her own journey with those ideations. And so speaking to her, giving her guidance, normalizing therapy and counseling that it's a part of the process, just like we have urgent care, we go to the doctor. It's okay to focus on your mental health and wellness and just navigating those conversations. And a lot of my work is holding space. I think a lot of times people are very uncomfortable with silence and that's really what we do best. We can just sit there. We can listen to the breaths. You know, we can hold the tears, hold the phone if we're in person, just hold a hand and be that comforting presence because sometimes you don't have to say the right thing or tell them what to do next, but really just be that presence. I love that because I often say, you know, so many times, you know, when someone comes to you with something, they they don't usually know what they want. So, you know, all you have to do is really show up and 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 allow that space for either the silence or simply ask, you know, like, how can I show up for you? How can I help? Like, as opposed to jumping to feeling like you, can, you can't fix it, you know, and there's no words, those words that you lack for, there's a reason because there are no words for something and some of these things in life. And so I, I love that idea of just holding space and you know, even if it's uncomfortable for you, you know, like as just someone who's supporting uh, a few things, right? I think you can find someone like a death doula or someone who can hold the space or just fight through that a little bit of that, you know, discomfort of, you know, not knowing what to say, but also allowing them to talk about it if that's what they want to talk about it. I see that a lot in mm-hmm. my work in which, you know, people get very, they'll be like, well, how do I help my, you know, friend who's going through this? Or I just don't know what to say. And um, allowing that space, you know, how how do you, do you see that a lot where people struggle to just hold space for things that are uncomfortable for them because they maybe haven't experienced it? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when people feel that silence in the space, they get caught up in their own thoughts and emotions and kind of overthink instead of just being that supportive presence. So it is something that I see and it doesn't have to be complete silence. I mean, you can put on maybe some relaxing music or, you know, some background noise, do some reading together and just different ways to physically be there. But like you said, not trying to find the perfect words because in so many cases, there's nothing to say. You just have to feel it. And that's why I love one of the terms for death duel is grief walking. It's not trying to go over. It's not trying to avoid it. It's taking that time to literally walk through those emotions and the pain because we have to honor those feelings and just knowing that it is okay. And again, if you are someone that's not yet comfortable with the silence or being there, definitely finding a deaf door or a family member or a spiritual guide or, you know, recommending someone to a licensed professional to really help them navigate those moments. But 
it's okay not to have the words because most times you won't. I love two things that you said, and I want to follow up. Uh, first, I thought just like um, you can feel the silence. You said something about feeling the silence with like doing like an activity like reading together or feeling the silence with like some light music. I love. Can you speak a little bit more on that? Because I love that. And then um, after that, I'll ask my next question because I think you said two really good things there. Yeah. I think back when um, I was working with someone who recently lost her father and, you know, definitely going through the first days after the loss, uh, crying, not wanting to eat all the typical signs and just wanting to be there and, you know, sitting in silence, bringing my book with me, you know, sharing some quotes or just being there, sitting there, being comfortable with nothing going on. And I come with like adult coloring books and all these things kind of in my tool bag just to allow someone that space to process. And, you know, if they want to read or, you know, put on some lo-fi in the background, but music is honestly very important to me. I grew up in a household full of music. My father is a musician and I feel like it truly has those healing properties. And even working in spiritual care, we had a lot of music therapists come in and for some legacy projects, making songs from loved ones' heartbeats and things like that. So I feel like there's power music, the harmony, the chords and the notes. And I feel like music can kind of give you words when you don't have the emotion to express it. And I just always love to kind of have some playlists or just recommendations around or if someone wants to kind of dance it out, that's okay too. Bring on the Grey's Anatomy. I love that. I love love it. Sometimes I got to do it myself. I mean, if you're having a rough day, just like dance it out, sing it out. I, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm so with you there. I I I just sometimes uh, I went through like a whole week recently where like the Frozen song like let it uh like when when Elsa, you know what I mean, is like on like anyway. Yeah. For whatever reason I found that empowering and like legitimately a whole week just belting it. It was how I started my morning, but it really did work, you know, and to your point of like I think sometimes yeah. words just do a better job with like pinpointing feelings. Um I also, you said something about uh, like making like uh, from their heartbeat, making different like different symbols. And I will say there are so many really, really cool things that I've seen people do with to like commemorate their loved ones, whether it, you know, be I, I saw like some jewelry being like made on TikTok. Like, I, I, know, I just feel like there's like so many creative mm-hmm. options. And I love that kind of this is a space where you can really like tap into those and it's not it's not weird it's not this it's just however you decide to you know commemorate or that legacy piece well how does someone though find a death doula like i don't remember this in any of the like my teachings in school like i took uh, end of life care because i very much so love this space as well which i know is a weird thing to say but um so, like, how does one, like, seek out these services um, when they're maybe not, like, directly presented to them? Yeah. You know, we are educating and bringing awareness to the field. A lot of conversations through word of mouth referrals, but also now when you Google or get on social media and type in Death Dula, you should be connected to different alliances. I know there's a Midwest Alliance in my area that has kind of a directory of all of us end-of-life doulas, our websites, our contact information. But now um, I know a lot of us are trying to get more on social media, on websites, because we know a lot of times we are working with 
um, the sandwich generation to those who have younger children and working with older parents. And so most times they are on social media. So trying to just share resources and who we are. I know me personally, I tried to host some community workshops, whether in person or virtual, just to spread awareness and letting people know who I am, what I do. But anytime I kind of meet someone or going through grief, I mentioned, you know, have you worked with, you know, who's your care team? Who's your support system? Do you have a therapist that you're working through kind of the regret and the emotional aspect of the loss? Do you have a doctor that's helping you maybe with the logistics? Also, you know, reaching out to funeral homes, you know, if you're at that stage where you're planning, uh, we connect with a lot of funeral homes to kind of provide that support and at least give them our information to know that we are there to assist families. So I have kind of uh, two follow-up questions or like my first is like, so it's not necessarily like the hospital or like, you know, someone's going to come in for lack of a better words, like put it on your plate. It's a little bit something more that you have to kind of seek a support you right at this time have to seek out for yourself. Is that correct? Correct. Now you might find some death doulas that are volunteering in hospitals or for hospice organizations. Like a lot of hospitals have a no one dies alone program. And when I was a faculty member uh, working with death doula students on how to get more experience, you know, how to find work before maybe starting their own practice, that is a recommendation. And some hospice organizations are actually hiring death doulas now to provide that support since we have less restrictions around timing, since it's not, unfortunately, right now covered by insurance. It's a lot more flexibility on how much time, how many people we can see. So you might find them and it does not hurt to ask. But I know right now a lot of our hospitals kind of have their own volunteer, their programs, but you might find someone in that role that is a trained death doula. And I mean, I, I agree with you. I think as it, looking into the future, we're going to like, to me, this is going to be a very common practice. Yeah. Um, but I want to make sure our listeners, you know, have that kind of awareness that it's something you might have to like ask for. My my next one yeah. would be like, you know, in end of life, like planning, because um, I feel like I want to update my end of life plan to include almost like, is it is it uncommon to include like, hey, here's some death death doulas to like help you with this. Cause I feel like my wife is someone who probably like would not go seek this out. But like if someone showed up at her door because I set it up, like that would find her comfort. Is that uncommon or something we can, you can plan for yet? Yeah, that definitely is something that we can do. A lot of times I'm working with individuals who don't want to kind of go through their document, they're planning alone. And so Dr. Will can come in, whether you have like a online or so many websites now that give you the virtual end-of-life plan. There are also some great books and even I've made kind of a PDF of, you know, writing down your contacts, you know, your financial information, your lawyer, your final wishes, even what information you want in your obituary. But that's one of the just services that we offer is sitting there doing the planning, helping you brainstorm or just being that supportive present as you kind of talk through what you want what you don't want. And then sometimes it's helpful to have a death doula because some individuals don't feel comfortable expressing what they truly want, say around their family and friends, yeah. especially when it comes to like end of life treatment and you know how long you don't want to stay on life support and things like that. So death doula can kind of be that, you know, non-biased party coming in, just exploring the conversation and then helping make sure that that person's wishes and want to truly express and written down. So it's definitely a service that we can help with. That's so helpful. 
Um, we went ahead and linked a bunch of stuff into our show notes for you guys so that you had a few resources if this is you know helpful for you in where you are in life. So Maria, before we go, is there kind of a some sort of tool or something that people who might be experiencing grief and listening right now can, can take with them? Yeah. Well, first I would say is just do assessment of your circle of support. So just take note of the people that you feel like you can go to to really express how you're feeling, your thoughts, your wants, and someone that's that supportive listening ear and, you know, recognizing maybe if you don't have that person and that's okay. And that's maybe you can reach out to professional or search for some grief support groups, but don't want you to isolate and be by yourself. That's extremely important. The next thing I would say is to find a creative outlet. You know, when you're going through grief and processing loss, you know, a lot of time you're seeking solitude, maybe you're withdrawing from your usual routine. But go back and think about the things that you really find joy in, whether it's music or dancing and finding a way to kind of channel that grief and using creativity is extremely important. So maybe trying a different medium than you usually use, writing a poem, you know, writing some lyrics to a song, even using some coloring tools or painting, even they have those kind of deconstruction rooms where you can go in and kind of throw and break some things. Just make sure you're finding a way to help that energy flow outward. And then finding a way to really remember that person who has transitioned. I'm a firm believer that, you know, no one really dies as long as we're speaking their name and sharing their memory. So whenever you have a chance, share a story, whether it's on your social media, or maybe you're writing that in a notebook, or like we discussed, there's so many creative ways through jewelry or cookbooks or photos, just making sure you keep that person's memory alive. I think that's extremely important and can help process your grief. I love all of those. And I think all of them are so practical. We can take them and kind of build on them as as we move forward. Moria, thank you again so much for being here, bringing your expertise. Um, the work you're doing, I think, is so important. And I know our listeners here on the podcast and in Cabana are so, so fortunate to have you uh, moderating and being a part of their journey. Yes, thank you. I think the sessions that we have planned, especially creatively coping with loss, is extremely helpful. And just know that it's a safe space where you can come and kind of walk through your grief journey with us. Lauren and I will be back next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. It means the world to us. Remember to check in on your peeps and yourself. Until next time, mind your health. Seriously, you're fine. You're fine because you have the power to access your place of peace anytime you need it. However, if you get stuck, we're right at the palm of your hand to help. Check out our show notes for this week's source list, recommended content, and Cabana live group schedule. We'll catch you next week for a brand new episode of You're Always Fine. The team at Cabana has found your reset button. The answer, Cabana Pods. Acoustic soundproof booths with immersive micro vacations proven to boost your mood in just five minutes. To learn more about Cabana Pods, visit www.evenhealth.com/pods.